Good morning. You guys look great today. Don't listen to what anybody else says. Just take my word for it. So you met Jeremy, one of my buddies. You still here, Jeremy? There he is. Hey, uh, you want to get to know Jeremy. So if you, if you think about it, if you have time, stop, introduce yourself to him. They are going to have a table, but you want to get to know Jeremy. He's, he's super nice. He's friendly. He's kind. Uh, very passionate, right? You can see his passion there. He's a little strange, all right? But we both are, so we get along really well. Just don't give me your phone number because I'll send you weird texts all day. We have a lot of fun doing that. Waste a lot of time during the day having text fun. All right. Easter is two weeks away. Can you believe it? Two weeks. It was just Christmas. Two weeks is a Resurrection Sunday. One of the things I try to do every Easter, I don't always get to do this, is watch a movie called The Passion of the Christ. It's, uh, I could look at this picture all day, that guy. Uh, the movie is made by a guy named Mel Gibson, who's nuts, right? I like him, but he's nuts. But this movie is incredibly convicting, right? So I recommend it, unless you have a heart condition, don't just watch this kind of, uh, you know, be careful with that. If you're a kid, ask your parents first before you watch. It is incredibly graphic. It's very brutal. It, it depicts what Jesus went through for us. Very brutal. When it came out, I think it was 04. Who saw it? Did you see that movie when it came out in 04? Not a popcorn soda kind of movie, right? This movie convicted everybody. I mean, criminals were coming out of the woodwork to confess their crimes. You had uh, bank robbers who got away with the crime, turning themselves in, going to prison. You had a like a Unabomber guy blowing people up, turned himself in. You had murderers turning themselves in. They were so convicted. One kid, a 21-year-old, turned himself in for murdering his girlfriend. Right? He got 75 years because she was pregnant at the time. The police had ruled it a suicide. He was scot-free. 75 well-deserved years. So I was convicted, too, when I saw this show. Uh, my sins caused what Christ did. And all my future sins, I knew every sin from then forward would just add to that. So it caused me to analyze my life. And the first thing I asked was, am I saved? And the answer was, yes, I was saved. Next question was, am I righteous? And the answer was, yes. Not because of anything I had done, but because of what Christ had done for me. He took my place. That's why you're righteous. Was I walking in righteousness? Absolutely not. Completely different thing. So I was righteous. We are righteous when we're saved only because of Christ. No matter how kind or friendly we are, how many mission trips, how humble we are, none of that matters. What matters is what Christ did for us and who he is. That's why we're righteous. But that does not mean we're walking in Christ, in righteousness. And I certainly wasn't. I was not living in righteousness. In fact, I had a pretty wicked and evil heart. So maybe you were convicted when you saw the passion. If you weren't, if you didn't see it, don't worry. You're going to be convicted today. We're going to go there. And conviction comes when we do something wrong or when we did something wrong or when we're not doing something that we should be doing. We're talking about sin. 
No one's convicted because of how awesome they are or how good they're doing. That's nothing new. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we read, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. That's the first step of the Roman road. That's the first thing you need to do before you accept Christ as your Savior is realize you are a sinner and you need a Savior. So sometimes when we sin, it's a misstep. It's a mistake. It's something, it's out of character. It's an anomaly. But sometimes it's a symptom of a much bigger problem. And that problem is having an evil heart. And if we have an evil heart, that's not new either. Jeremiah 17 says, The heart is deceitful above all else and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Hearts can be and usually are evil. So Easter is a great time to assess your heart. It's a great time to analyze yourself and see if you have a problem in this area. And I want you to know today if you have a problem with your heart because you may be misleading yourself. You may be lying to yourself. You may not know because you may have never assessed, you may have never thought to assess your heart. And this is important because if your heart is evil, it's a terrible witness to your wife, to your husband, to your children, to your neighbors, to your friends, to your family, to the person sitting next to you right now. It's a terrible witness and it makes you an ineffective ambassador of Christ. So my question for you today, really for all of us, I include myself in this, do you have an evil heart? This should concern you. Now this is a four-week series. We're jamming into the next 18 minutes. All right? So plan on being offended. You will probably be offended. You're going to be convicted. That offends people. You may get upset. Anytime you get upset, I want you to have a venue, a place you can go to to complain about this if you would like to. So I have some emails up here. Feel free to email Gary or Jeremy. I'll add some more to lighten it up at times when it needs to be lightened up. Jeremy, I don't know what you touched up here. So maybe you weren't convicted, right? And I said, you're going to be convicted. Now we need to figure out how do we discover if we have an evil heart. And it's easy. We compare our heart with Scripture. Because it doesn't matter what I say or what she says or what he says or what anyone here says. It matters what God says. God's word does not lie. But look, if you just absolutely cannot evaluate yourself, if that's just not in your makeup, feel free to ask your spouse or your children, right? Because they'll tell you, unless they're afraid of you, they'll tell you before you finish the question. They'll be like, oh, yeah, man, you're angry, you're prideful, you lie, you have trouble. With, you know, So they'll just go down the list, they'll lay it all out. When they do, though, take those things and compare them with Scripture. Okay, you compare it with Scripture because... We're moving towards righteousness, right? You want to make sure you're on the right track. So I have three questions for you today. There are dozens. I pulled three out. 
You can write them down. You can take a picture. You can ignore them, whatever you want to do. Just remember, the closer you align your heart with God's word, the more you're walking in righteousness. And that's what we're looking for. That's what we're all trying to do. Do you have an evil heart? Here we go. Question one. Do you create conflict and confusion? Do you lie? Do you mislead? Do you avoid responsibility? Do you stir things up? Do you deny reality? Do you withhold information? Is that you? The psalmist writes concerning the wicked, His mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. And in Proverbs, The wicked winks maliciously with his eye, plots evil with deceit in his heart. He always stirs up conflict has a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Evaluate yourself. Do you lie and threaten? Are people nervous around you? When I'm irritated, my family's nervous around me. It's not good. How about you? Do you say one thing and do the other? Do you plot for your own benefit? Are you quick to jump to the, to the, to the help, to the relief of your friends and family when they're wrong? Do you say false things about people? Do you run headlong into evil situations without even stopping for a moment to consider what God will want you to do? Is there a wake of destruction in your past? Where'd that come from? If that sounds like you, you have an evil heart. Question two. Are you bad at forgiveness? Do you never forgive? Do you sometimes forgive when it suits you? Are you withholding forgiveness from someone? Do you remind people you've forgiven constantly how many times you've forgiven them? Do you meditate and brood on the forgiveness you've given because you're so generous? In In the book of Matthew, Jesus says, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Whoa, 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 whoa. That doesn't feel good. That should be concerning. So if I'm saved but I don't forgive people and God says he won't forgive me if I don't forgive them, what does that mean? I ask myself, Am I really saved? Am I really saved or am I fooling myself? All I know is that the thought of God refusing to forgive me terrifies me. It should terrify you. In fact, it should prompt you to forgive everyone for everything. We are commanded to forgive. It is not optional. Forgive or you will not be forgiven forgiven. It's hard, right? It's hard. 
We're angry. We want justice. God knows that. And yet he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. God doesn't say, hold on to that rage and anger. Be vengeful because you might need it someday. It'll come in handy. You can use it against somebody. Instead, he says, forgive. That's all. I forgave you, so you forgive them. And then to put a bow on the top of this, in 1 Corinthians, in the love chapter, Jesus says, love keeps no record of wrongs. It's almost like he's saying, look, I don't even want you to think about the sins and the forgiveness. I don't want you to meditate. I don't want you to bring it up. I don't, I don't want you to remind people. Now, I have a tip for you. If you have a relationship, if you're married, if you want to ruin that, bring up, mention to your spouse or loved one every day all the times you've forgiven them. That's a bad joke. Don't do that. Scratch that from the recording. So if you are bad at forgiveness like that, it sounds like you're not very forgiving after all. And you need to learn how to forgive biblically. You can do that. We can help you with that. But for now, you have an evil heart. Last question. Thank God, right? Amen. Praise God. Last question. Imagine if we did this for four weeks. You would hate me by then. Do you have no conscience, no remorse, no mercy? If you do not struggle with sin, that is a red, it's a big red flag. If you take delight when bad things happen to people, even terrible, rotten people, red flag. If you enjoy watching destruction unfold, red flag. And, and ultimately, if you're listening to this right now, thinking to yourself, this doesn't really apply to me, red flag. Big problem. Proverbs, speaking of wicked people, they delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. And Isaiah says, fools speak folly. Their hearts are bent on evil. They practice ungodliness and spread error concerning the Lord. The hungry they leave empty, and from the thirsty they withhold water. Do you find yourself saying, he deserved that? The dude had that coming. He had it coming. I do. Just be careful you don't find yourself delighting in the misery of others. It's never good. And when Isaiah speaks about folly, he's talking about absurdity, nonsense, but not goofing off with your friends, not joking around. He's talking about being ungodly, spreading heresy. So do you find yourself pontificating on godly matters when you're not really sure if you're correct? Do you leave people worse off than when you found them? Instead of teaching them the gospel, which they desperately need, 
Do you withhold the truth from them? For whatever reason, it's terrible. It's a terrible thing to do. Paul likens people like this to Satan himself. And you never want to be likened to Satan in that regard, or any regard. So if that sounds like you, you have an evil heart. Jeff Cucci sent me the material that this sermon was built off of. Thank you, Jeff. And when I read it, I had a few responses. You may be uh, mirroring my response. You may be saying, look, I mean, I have some of those issues, right? Some of that sounds right, but not to the point of having an evil heart, man. Come on. Um, So I'm not trying to convince you that you have an evil heart. The truth is I have no idea. I have enough trouble figuring out my own. I have no idea where your heart is. I'm simply giving you the opportunity to evaluate your heart today to see if you do have an evil heart. Because if you do have one, you need to address it ASAP. And really the following passage from God is why I did this sermon today. It's in Proverbs. Six things the Lord hates. In fact, seven are detestable to him. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among the brothers and sisters. That is an evil heart. And if you want to find out what happens to people like that, go to this verse, go back one passage, see what happens to people who do that. That's why I'm doing this today. So if you are the person who creates conflict and confusion, if you're the person who doesn't know how to forgive, or the person with no conscience, no remorse, no mercy, you have an evil heart. But fear not, my friends. Fear not. This can be remedied in just a moment. Praise God and amen. You didn't think I was going to leave you hanging, did you? Did you think I would leave you hanging after dropping something like this? God has the answer, and you're going to have the ability right now as we speak in just a moment to access that remedy. There's only one thing that can stop you. That's yourself. Nothing else can stop you. So here's the remedy to an evil heart. If you are not a follower of Christ, if you are not a believer, if you are not saved, get saved. Now, I offended half the church when I said that this morning. I said, get saved. And someone stopped me and said, you can't get saved. God can, only God can save you. That's right. But you have to take a step. You have to have faith. God fixes us, but we have to have faith. Here's how you do it. Here's why this is important if you're not saved. You may wake up tomorrow morning dead. And it's too late at that point. Now is the time. Quit putting this off. Quit waiting until you figure things out. Have some faith. Throw caution to the wind. Have some faith. Confess your sins to God. Turn away from those sins that are destroying your life right now and ask Christ to be your Savior. There is nothing else you can do for your evil heart. You can go to counseling. You can read books. There's nothing else 
that, that we can offer you. You have to be saved. That's the only thing, only God can fix your evil heart. And if you are saved, you know more is required of you. We all know that. But the steps are surprisingly similar. Confess your sins to God. Turn away from all those sins that you said you would turn away from already. And then follow Christ, your Savior, like you said you would. Here's why this is so important. If you have an evil heart, you are not glorifying God. You're not glorifying God. doesn't matter if you're young, old, new Christian, old Christian. You are not being effective. And Jesus Christ wants effective soldiers and believers doing the things that he asks them to do, that he commands them to do. I want you to imagine something for me. Just shut your eyes. I'm not going to walk you through the, the prayer to become a Christian. I want you to imagine the most evil person that you can think of. Hitler, Stalin, Mao, Pol Pot, Jeffrey Dahmer, Pontius Pilate, Judas, someone you know personally who is rotten and evil. If that person on their deathbed sincerely confesses their sins and repents and turns away from their sins and asks Christ to save them sincerely, the Bible tells us that person will spend eternity in heaven. And we don't maybe don't like that, but that's the reality. God does the work. The sinner confesses and repents and asks him to save them and has faith. That person will spend eternity in heaven. Now consider yourself on the same deathbed. You're nowhere near as bad as those people. But you have an evil heart. And you're unwilling to forgive and you have no conscience and no mercy and no remorse. And you're unwilling to ask Christ to be your Savior. you will find yourself eternally damned. Do not let that happen. If you're not saved, get saved. Have faith in Christ. Ask him to be your savior. And if you are saved, turn back to Christ now before it's too late. Amen. As a paramedic, almost every shift, I come across someone who thought they had some more time. And they didn't. And they may have already breathed their last, or I may be the last face that they see. But they thought they had some more time. When they woke up in the morning, they thought they were going to go to bed that night. And they, and they didn't. They ran out of time. So those that have the opportunity to be on their deathbed and can, can make that confession, praise the Lord for them. But don't put all your eggs in, the, in that basket because it, it may not happen. It may happen like that. 
And I think you would have a hard heart if you are here this morning. And forgive me, Pastor Ben, for speaking more here. But you'd have a hard heart this morning if you haven't felt the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit here this morning. From the, from the music, the, the worship team, from the special music this morning uh, to, to Pastor Ben's message. This, is, this has been a special morning. And I hope, you, I hope you take advantage of it. Let's, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for meeting us here in all our, in all our brokenness. And Father, we rejoice that uh, even as broken as we are, that, that you are here and, and want to do a mighty work. And we thank you for the work that you have done and the work that you're doing today and the work that you will do. Father, we turn this, turn this over to you the rest of the day, and prayerfully, Father, some the rest of their lives. Father, we thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.